0: I'm pretty sure this is a record, but for the second week in a row, I'm preaching out of the Psalms. This morning, we're going to take a look at Psalm 32. It's another one of the Psalms of David. And so if you're able, I'd ask you to please rise for the hearing of God's Word, which we read in Jesus' name. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Heavenly Father, your word is truth, and we pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Today, as we look at this Psalm of David, I pray that you would show us our sin all those ways that we have fallen short of your glory. Allow us to freely confess it before you and to trust that we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Point us again to his finished work. And by your word, strengthen us for your service, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know this might sound a little bit crazy to anyone under 25 or 30, but there was once a time, and not even that long ago, When if you wanted to watch a TV show, the only way to do it was to watch it live as it aired. You couldn't really record it. I mean, you could, but you had to either put it on a Betamax tape or a VHS. And my parents could never figure that out, really. And I don't think I ever did, either. It wasn't a convenient way to tape the things you wanted. There was no way to pause live TV. I know that sounds really shocking. You had to play this really fun game during commercials to see if you could use the bathroom fast enough and not miss your show. You couldn't hop online and look up episodes because online wasn't a thing yet, and you couldn't watch them through a streaming service. This is probably going to sound the most shocking, but you also couldn't watch them on your phone because phones were things with cords attached to a wall that had no screen and apps hadn't been invented yet. That's what my childhood was like. And back in those days, I needed to have permission from my parents before I flipped on that TV and watched anything. I needed the okay from mom or dad before I got to flip it on, and they paid pretty close attention to what I was watching, at least while they were in the house. But there was this magical time in my childhood. Once I was a little bit older, and I was old enough to be left at home and babysit my sister, where I was still supposed to have permission to watch TV, but they weren't there to police it. So I'd get to stay home while my parents worked during the summer or ran to the store for errands or even went out on a date. And I was supposed to ask for permission if I was gonna use the TV. But since they weren't there, they really had no idea how much I was watching or what exactly I was watching. If they gave me tasks to do before I got to have screen time or whatever, I would do them as quickly and poorly as possible so I could watch as much TV as I could, even if my TV time was supposed to be limited or I wasn't supposed to watch any at all while they were gone. Now, when you're playing that game, when you're on the TV, when you're not supposed to be, you really have to pay attention. Otherwise, you get caught doing something you're not supposed to do. There was no feeling, as a child, quite like the hearing of the garage door opening when I was supposed to be asleep and I was in the living room watching TV. It was this mad race to get the TV off, get all the lights off in the house, which obviously my parents saw when they pulled up, get into my room, shut the door, jump into bed, pull the covers over my head, and just hope and pray that they thought I was sleeping. Even though I never slept that way and my heart was racing, I was shaking and I was sweating. The sound of the garage door would make my heart race and my stomach drop every single time because I knew I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing and I was pretty sure I had just been caught doing it as well. In those moments as a child, I experienced in a very small way what Adam and Eve must have experienced in the garden. When they heard God walking in the cool of the day, right after they had eaten from the tree, they were commanded not to. Or what Cain felt when God said, where is your brother Abel? Or what King David felt when he heard from the prophet Nathan, you are the man. We all know that feeling, right? We know that feeling when when we've been caught doing something that we shouldn't be doing, or at least we think we've been caught doing it. We've been caught in our transgressions and sins. We know that feeling as our heart begins to speed up and the knots tie in our stomachs. Even though getting caught doing something you're not supposed to be is a terrifying thing, I think it's honestly better. In the long run, it's better to get caught doing what you shouldn't be doing than to get away, f- to get away with it and keep it hidden. Perhaps the better thing, though, is if you got away with it, it's better to come to a place where you go and you confess the wrong that you have done. Because when your sins and your transgressions remain hidden, when you're the only one that knows about them and you've just kept hiding them from everybody else, that racing heart and that pit in your stomach don't exactly just go away, do they? It's something that continues to fester, even if it stays on the back burner. It's something that continually eats you up one bite at a time when you know you have done wrong and sinned, or continuing to do wrong and to sin. That knot in the pit of your stomach just continues to slowly twist. King David, who wrote our psalm for today, said it this way, When I remained silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now this is one of those psalms where we don't have the context. So we don't know exactly what time in David's life he's talking about. It would seem to fit with the events with Bathsheba and Uriah, but it might be possible that David had another time and another sin in mind. But either way, whatever David's situation we all kind of resonate with what it is that David is saying here. When we keep silent, when we don't confess our sins and keep them bottled up, when we don't tell anybody about the things that we've done wrong, it feels like we are wasting away. Like the life is being sucked out of us because of the guilt and shame that we feel. Knowing we have done wrong, but keeping it all inside. David starts this psalm by saying, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. I don't know if you noticed this as I read through that a second time, but David uses three different words to talk about sin in that passage. He uses transgression and sin and iniquity. All three of these words in Hebrew are synonyms, but they also each have a different nuance to them. Tim Seleska, in his commentary on the Psalms, calls these three words the three technical terms for sin. And he notes that these three Hebrew words for sin are used in other places in the Old Testament with a specific purpose. In Exodus 34, it says, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It also gets used in Leviticus chapter 16, where we're talking about Yom Kippur, that day of atonement that the Hebrew people celebrated. And there it says, Aaron shall lay his hand on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions And all their sins. When these three words get used together in the Old Testament, the important thing is not the nuances of these words, but the fact that they get grouped together. Sin, iniquity, and transgression being confessed together over that scapegoat before it was brought out of the camp on Yom Kippur meant that the entirety, the totality of Israel's sin had been heaped upon that goat. In Exodus, when it talks about God forgiving all three, it means the entirety of the people of the sins of the people of Israel had been forgiven. And David uses those three words in the same way here in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one, or lucky is the one, whose sin, transgression, and iniquity have all been forgiven by the Lord. You see, in the same way that we know that feeling you get, when you've been caught doing something that you shouldn't be doing, and we all know the feelings of guilt and shame that come from holding our sins in, we also know that David is right here in the first verse of the psalm. Because we know, at least in small ways, what that feeling of forgiveness is like. When we've been forgiven by someone and we really believe and trust it, when we're sure that there's no longer any more debt or hostility or obligation, we know that light feeling, that spring in our step, that feeling that the weight has been removed from our shoulders, that the guilt and shame that were crushing us are gone. We know it from our interactions with other human beings when we confess to them that we have done wrong and they truly forgive us. Forgiveness, even from other human beings, is a blessing. But what a greater blessing it is when that forgiveness comes from the Lord. Because he doesn't just forgive one wrong thing. He doesn't just forgive one sin or one mistake. He forgives our sin, our iniquity, and our transgressions. He forgives the totality of our sinfulness in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just die for a couple of our sins. He didn't just face the wrath of God for a couple things. He paid the price for all of our sins. All of our sin was heaped upon him on the cross, and there he faced the full wrath of God over sin so that we might be forgiven completely and totally. David starts this psalm talking about the blessings of forgiveness. But then he goes on to say that for at least a time in his life, he was not that blessed person. Rather than living as one forgiven by God, he lived as one who hid in his sin and tried to justify his own failings. And he wasted away as he did it. But in verse 5, David has a change of heart and mind. We call that repentance. He acknowledges his sin. He doesn't try to hide it any longer. Instead, he confesses it before the Lord. And then comes in the last line of verse 5, and it brings with it peace and joy. It simply says, the Lord forgave the iniquity of my sin. I absolutely love Psalm 32, verse 5. It's beautiful. David had been hiding his sin but then he repents. He changes his mind. He, he admits, first off, that his sin is, is a problem and it's separating him from God. He doesn't hold anything back. He, he just confesses it and then God forgives him. This is a fantastic verse in Holy Scripture. You see, David didn't go out and try and make himself good enough before he went to God. He didn't try to do enough good works to outweigh the bad before he confessed. He didn't do anything crazy to try to get God's attention or favor Instead, he simply confesses his sin and God forgives him. And you see, that's the same thing God has promised to do for each and every one of us. When we get to that point where we no longer want to hide from our sin, where we no longer want to play games, where we no longer want to pretend that we have everything together or that we're good enough or that we don't have a sin problem, when we get to that point and we see our sins for what they truly are, and we confess them before God, he promises to be gracious and merciful. He promises to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is then, after we have confessed and been forgiven, that our relationship has been restored with God. It is then that the promises from the rest of this psalm become our promises, You see, God becomes our hiding place and our refuge in the midst of the storm, rather than the judge that we have to fear. He becomes our instructor and our teacher and our counselor, and we, just like King David, can rejoice and be glad. We can shout for joy because God has graciously made us to be righteous, and he has given even to us an upright heart. Well, today, once again, we are going to be blessed to go to the Lord's table and receive Holy Communion. At the table, we are offered the body and blood of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. It is given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. But before we go forward to receive it, we have the opportunity to confess our sins before God. So during this time, Take it to freely confess anything you've been hanging on to, anything that's been eating you up on the inside, any of those sins that are turning your stomach into knots. Confess it all freely before God and trust that God forgives just as freely and that he forgives you fully. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm of David where David confesses about his life that he wasted away before he confessed his sins to you. And Lord, that as soon as he did confess, you forgave. And that feeling of wasting away was replaced with joy. Lord, do that in our own lives. Bring us to the place where we freely confess our sins before you and allow us to trust that your forgiveness is complete and total and free. Allow us to live as your redeemed people. As we now get ready to go to your table... Let us confess our sin before you and trust in what we received there and go as changed people. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.